Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Amen. Um, great family. Once again, it's good to be with you this morning, and um, what a great this song. is being recorded. Thanks, Jason. What a great psalm to dive in this morning. Um, It's a long one, but don't worry, we're going to get through it. There's a lot there. There's a lot of meat on the bone. So hold on. Uh, Make sure that you've got your thinking caps on, Um, especially towards the end of the psalm. We're going to take a journey through the psalm and on the emotional roller coaster ride that the psalmist was, but especially towards the end of the psalm is where a lot of the gold lies. So I want you to try and stay with me. I know all of us has got Zoom fatigue. We hate the screens right now. But uh, even though it is a blessing for us, but um, hold on and we'll get through it. Let me pray for our hearts. Father God, we are thankful, even though we can moan about it, uh, but we are thankful that we can join one another digitally. But maybe we moan because we know how sweet and how good it is when the people of God gather together. And so, Father, we pray for this morning, even though that we're not able to enjoy that sweetness of gathering as the people of God, that we can still enjoy the sweetness of your word being shared and sharing it with one another. And so I pray for this time now. I pray for our hearts. I pray for the distractions. I pray for the technology, for the internet connection, that you would bless these things, not for us just to have a good morning, but for us to be instructed by your good word from a good God. Do this for your name. Amen. South Africans love loyalty programs. Uh, Business Insider today estimates that 73% of all economically active South Africans belong to some or other loyalty program. I don't know about you, whether it's your spa rewards card, checkers, pick and pay, your medical aid, your insurance, where you put in fuel, what gym you go to, whatever it is, we're somehow part of a loyalty program, it seems. And it's almost to the point of becoming ridiculous. You need almost two wallets just to hold all the different cards uh, at the different shops that you need to go to but the fact behind it is that we believe as South Africans that if I'm loyal to a particular shop or to a particular brand that I need to be rewarded thereby we love getting stuff back we love getting our points and we love getting discounts and we love getting coupons that we can at the at long last get our free latte at mug and bean And friends, this is not just true of the way that we do business of our commerce. This is actually also true of life and the way that we view our lives. Everyone, no matter who you are, you hold to a particular worldview because you believe that that worldview will at the end of the day reward you. And this is not just true of humanistic worldviews or of people living in a selfish ways. This is definitely true of Christianity as well. It might seem selfish. But Christians hold to Christianity because we do believe that there is some sort of reward for us in that. But in this, a lot of Christians have a bit of an identity crisis. We're not always sure where to look for the reward in Christianity. And so what happens is, as we compare Christianity with other reward or loyalty reward programs out there, we struggle to measure up the rewards. And once we do that, we ask The very dangerous question, or at least we think it's very dangerous, why am I a Christian? What reward, what what give back does Christianity ultimately at the end of the day 
give me when it seems like that the world rewards everything and everyone else? Now family, this is a very good question and a question that we shouldn't shy away from. It's one that we see the psalmist this morning wrestles actively with and it's one that we need to actively engage with so that we can get perspective on what real reward reward, and what real truth in Christ is. And so for that, let's dive into this morning's psalm. Now, as we mentioned before, we're in the series called Psalms for Pretoria. It is psalms that we're reading and going through that we believe is particularly helpful for this time and this day and age in Pretoria. And today's psalm is no different. The psalmist takes us on a journey of their emotions and their experiences. And I find this extremely helpful because what we see is not just cold heart facts being expressed, but actually a wrestling with who and what God is and what Christianity can give us. It's not enough to simply know that the Lord is my strength. I need to be able to see it. I need to be able to see where this actually comes in real life. In the trenches of everyday life, if we believe that God is good, we need to be able to see the rewards. And so the first three verses of the psalm is almost like the thesis that the psalmist is giving us. He starts in in verse 1, a psalm of Asaph saying, Truly God is good to Israel. To those who are pure in heart. This is the credo statement. This is the faith statement that many of us would, even today, would profess or know that God is good. We believe He is good and we believe He shows His goodness to His people. However, we also know that in life and practice, things aren't always this straightforward. Look in verse 2. The psalmist also says, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant. And when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see, something happened that had made the psalmist, in his own words, almost stumble, almost slip. Well, slip from where? Well, from the road of truth. From believing, verse 1, that God is good and that God is good to his, to his people. So, something happened that almost made him fall away from this truth or fall away from this earth-moving truth that God is good to his people. And it's verse 3. The moment that he saw the prosperity of the wicked, he became envious. This is where the rubber meets the road. We, we profess, we sing, we talk of God's goodness and how he cares for his people. Yet, when we look at our reality, it does not seem like the truth. The psalmist was envious of the arrogant when he saw the prosperity of the wicked. And I think this is something that many of us can con- can agree with and he explains it further he double clicks on what he means when he says that in verses 4 to 12 look at how in detail he goes into this what is the prosperity that he's talking about well he says these wicked people they have no pangs no stresses until death their bodies are fat and sleek you can see it's going well with them they're not in trouble as others are they are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. 
They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. You can really see the psalmist thought about this one. He was very (laughs) expletive in his explanation of exactly what he thought, how well they're doing. But who hasn't thought like this before? It seems like there's no justice in the world, doesn't it? Not only are people getting rich and prosperous through dishonest and wicked ways, but they're so open and blatant about it. We see this every day and everywhere in corruption and in scandals, looting happening not just on a micro scale, but through state capture and corruption. The wicked are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And yet it doesn't seem like there are any consequences. It's not just government institutions. Even through a system like capitalism, it means that the wealthy stay in power and the marginalized gets pushed to the fringes of society. I can basically treat my domestic worker and gardener like a slave and barely pay them anything because if they're not willing to do it, there are millions desperate enough that will take up the job. And so I hold the power. I can use your desperation against you. We see companies and executives that would try anything to cut costs, not to benefit their employees, but to further enrich themselves. These people become seemingly untouchable and their pride rises to the extent that they even raise their voices against the heavens, against God, daring Him to do something. How can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? And yet, again, it doesn't seem like anything is happening to them. The wicked are at ease. They increase in riches. Where is this good God? If this is not enough to make you despondent, it gets worse, uh, for the Christian at least. Not only do we not enjoy the riches that the wicked do, not only do we not give ourselves over to self and riches, no, we actually go the other way around where we practice self-denial and self-sacrifice. And it feels like vanity. Hear his complaint in verses 13 to 15 to God. The psalmist says, All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When we see what's happening around us, when it feels like we are powerless to stop the tsunami of injustice when it seems like God is apathetic to our situation, our hearts might start to drift to where the psalmist is right now. It feels like there's no reason why we pursued innocence and truth. If the world rewards a dishonesty, why would we do anything else? It's not just honest practices that we're talking about, but pursuing a sanctified and holy lifestyle. Many times, I'm sure many of us on the screen, we've confessed our sins, often with tears. Many times we've accepted rebuke from brothers and sisters so that we could grow in love and honesty, discipline and reproof, 
self-denial, self-sacrifices, to have a life that is not easier but actually has more obstacles than the people around us. More obstacles than those only trying to enrich themselves. Why would anyone continue to do this? It almost, it's almost like we are suckers for punishment. We choose the more difficult way without any reward. I can see the advert for the loyalty program for Christianity right now. Wanted people to sign up for a life of suffering promising no reward and lots of pain. Who would sign up for this? Even the psalmist declares in verse 16 that when he sought to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task. It is totally understandable to see why at the beginning of the psalm, the psalmist says that he almost slipped, that he almost fell away from the truth. By merely having this worldly perspective and family, if we stay in this state, we are bound to also slip and slip away from the truth. What we need is exactly what the psalmist needed, is a different perspective. And the psalmist knew where to go. Read with me verses 17 to 20. I love how 17 starts. Until, <laughs> until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you have set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. Swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord. When you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Until he went into the sanctuary of God. The, the sanctuary of God. The the place where they went to experience the presence of God, the place where the people of God gathered for corporate worship, the place where they could offer sacrifices and prayers and once again hear who the great God truly is. It's only once the psalmist had the opportunity to once again gaze upon God that he gained perspective on his current situation. The problem that he was making in the beginning is that he was looking in the wrong places to make sense of this world, to seek where the rewards of this world is. God is the ultimate truth. God is the sovereign king. He controls reality and truth. As we see who God is, we discern the end of the wicked. Thanks, Jason. You can stop sharing this. As we see who God is, we discern the end of the wicked. Paradoxically, the wealthy through dishonest gain and the wicked, the unjust, they are not sure-footed because of their so-called prosperity. In fact, the psalmist says that they are the ones that have been placed on slippery places and they will fall to ruin. And this is, of course, family because we know that once you have demigods or false gods like money, it seems like there's no need to worship the one true God. It seems like you are the master of your own universe, that you are in control of what happens to you. But what a slippery place to be in and a dangerous place to think like this, to somehow believe that you have it all and you can control it all. God allowing the wicked to have all these riches is not him blessing them. It might even be a form of punishment. 
and judgment as God gives them over to the passions of their flesh, as we see in Romans 1. God not intervening, but allowing someone to continue down the road and the wrong path is not a sign of God's approval, but of God's judgment. How quickly can the circumstances of the wicked and the prosperous change? The psalmist says that in an instant, they are swept away by terrors. Like a dream, they awake and suddenly realize that everything is gone. The vanity is trusting in those things that can be taken away. And family, how true has that been the last couple of weeks? How well has that been demonstrated to us? How quickly things can change? Whilst they stole peace and security, everything seems fine. And suddenly, in an instant, everything changes. Livelihoods can be lost. Incomes can be taken away. What was stored up can be looted. And to be honest, I think it could have been much worse even than what happened. How does this make you feel in light of what has happened? Well, what this shouldn't do is make you want to make more plans. Take your maybe not take your investments abroad. Maybe you should immigrate. No. What this should make you do, together with the psalmist, is actually see how fickle it is to trust in material positions, to trust in our earthly plans. Of course, we need to be wise. Of course, we need to be good stewards of our finances and wealth. But the point that the psalmist is making here is that those things cannot care for you. Not only that, but they can be taken away in an instant. We need something more assured. We need something that can give us a greater reward than instant gratification. And what's more disturbing is not just the fickleness of those false gods, but also how they can lead you away from God. And the end of that is destruction. Verse 27 says, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. Grace from God would be for those enjoying endless prosperity to come to ruin before the end of their life so that they can see and come to realize there's something more. That there has to be something more stable in their life. Thinking that mere prosperity is the call and answer to this life is ignorant and short-sighted. We all tend to fall in this way of thinking. We all gravitate sometimes in our life to think that this is the answer that we need. And the psalmist himself was in this position and he says it so well in verses 21 to 22. Read with me. He says, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. When he was embittered, he was brutish towards God. Literally, the word means like a beast without any understanding towards God. This is what happens in our hearts if we only have eyes for the things around us. Maybe you've noticed a little bit of this bitterness in your own heart before as you drove around some of the more wealthier neighborhoods in the city. You've noticed the cars and the houses that you don't have. Maybe it's not even that. Maybe even just going to your friends' houses. And you start seeing the things that they have that you don't. Well, what happens in your heart is you start noticing those things time and time and time and again if we don't guard against it. Well, we become bitter, don't we? Why don't I have that? I deserve that. I've worked hard. I've studied hard. 
Why don't I already have the things that they have? Why do my friends and peers who've been working as long as I have already have more than what I have? Why do students in the same life phase as me have more than I maybe should have at this stage? Why, why, why? And bitterness sets in. And once my heart is bitter, I can justify anything. I do deserve this. We almost become like beasts. Taking, wanting, everything should be about me. It's a dog-eat-dog world out there and I'm going to get mine. Survival of the fittest, looking out for number one, myself. Family, not so with God. This would be the reality if we had no God that we served. And so to gain perspective, family, what we need to do is also enter into the sanctuary of God. Now, unlike Old Covenant, we don't have a physical temple where we can go to experience the presence of God. No, we have something much better. Jesus in John chapter 2 uh, refer, uh, talks about the temple and he says, Break down this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And he was referring to his own body through his death and re- death on the cross and resurrection after that. Through his substitutionary death on the cross, Jesus has made a new temple of which he is the cornerstone. The new temple made up of the body of believers, the saints, that rises up to be the holy temple of God. What this means for us is that if we want to gaze upon God, if we want to experience the presence of God, there's no physical temple that we need to go to. It's through our union with Christ and the Spirit that we now have free and welcomed access to the Father. We don't need to approach the throne of grace like subjects. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And some of the places that we get to experience this and actually see this in action is when the people of God gather together. When we pray and when we share His Word, we see more of who God is. Listen to how the psalmist describes this experience, this new perspective. In verses 23 to 26, he says, Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Family, we have a God that is intimately involved with our circumstances. A God who counsels us, who guides us, to whom we can call. What we need this morning is similar to the psalmist. We need to be captured by this goodness of God. We need that counsel to guide us, leading us, helping us so that this can become truer in our life every day. The reward that we can experience today is much more than mere material prosperity. No, it's proximity to God. 
The reward that we can experience today is not material prosperity, it is proximity to God. That means we get to be close to God. We get to have intimacy with a God that cares for His children. And God wants to give you this. He wants to bless you with a life of close proximity to Him. That's in verse 28. He says, But as for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. The psalmist suddenly realizes that what is truly good for him is to be close to God. And so if God is good, then this is what God would give us. In his goodness, he will give us proximity to him. In other words, God would arrange and organize our circumstances and our life events in such a way that it would push us closer to Him and not further away from Him. This means, and hear me now family, that everything in your life that you have right now, God has given you so that you can get closer to Him. Now this is, this is tough to hear. Even the bad things, the struggles that you are encountering, God is allowing so that you can rely on Him. This changes how we view everything in our life. Now we don't pray for prosperity, but for proximity. Lord, protect me from myself. How fickle my heart. Please don't allow me to have such material wealth that I somehow think that I'm not in desperate need of you every moment of my life. What we need to do with ourselves, but also with one another, is to remind us that we actually have it better than those that have everything. God has blessed you by not allowing you to have everything that your heart desires, lest you forget His name. We have it better than the rich, the powerful, and those that seemingly have no problems. We have it better as we need to fight against our own sin. The fact that we are rebuked, stricken, and have cried many tears, we have it better. Because all our money doesn't belong to us. We give some of it to God through the church. We give some of it away to the people that we can serve. We have it better that our time is not our own, but rather that we gather together, that we need to make effort, that I don't sleep in, that we serve in the church and at other settings. We have it better that we don't go away every life and simply live the Instagram lifestyle. No, but that we stay and we spend time with our faith community. We have it better because we know that real prosperity is proximity to the most holy God and God uses all of these things to gather us to us, to himself and to remind us of this magnificent truth. And so family, nearing the end, the place to test your heart and to search your own heart to make sure that you are not also in the slippery place of envying the wicked to ensure that you are not slipping away from the truth of the goodness of God is to see how thankful your heart is towards God. The opposite of an embittered heart is a heart full of thankfulness. Are you praising God for what He is giving you? Are you praising God for your life's circumstances? Are you seeing God working currently? Are you seeing how God has worked in the past 
for what He has put in my life. We thank God for all the graces. We thank God that there are struggles in your life that He is allowing so that you can cling to Him. The end of the wicked, the corrupt, those who say there is no God is destruction. Justice will prevail, but we leave that over to God. Rather, we trust in His goodness right now. We delight in God. He is our portion forever. And we delight in Him in such a way that we may tell of His good works. Not of the prosperity, but of the closeness and proximity. Let's pray. Father, how good a God that everything that we have and everything that we've experienced you have allowed so that we can know you more. How good a God that as your children we know that you guide us and that you lead us and that you counsel us, that you are our portion forever. Truly, truly, God is good to his people. Help our hearts to believe this. Constantly, Father, our hearts are fickle. We measure ourselves with the world around us and we become envious. We become despondent as we see the seemingly recklessness of the unjust. Father, help us to constantly regain perspective as we gain together, uh, as we gather together, as we gaze upon you and the beauty that is Jesus Christ on the cross, died and resurrected for us and our sins. How good we have it in you. You are our surety. You are truth. And we love you for that. Amen.